as uh, Americans, as Westerners, uh, we have a great love for that thing called the fairy tale. I like it too. Um, fairy tales are very simple stories. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy. At the end of the story, there's a high point of action where the good guy overcomes the bad guy and they live happily ever after. It's, it's in so many of our stories. It's just, it's just what we want. I want to know this is the good guy we cheer for, this is the bad guy we cheer against, and I watch my, I watch my movie, I read my book, knowing that eventually the good wins and the bad guy fails. Now, there's nothing wrong with these stories. These stories give us a sense of drama, hope, they inspire us. But sometimes we take that simple fairy tale idea and we apply it to the Bible. And the Bible does not fit in these simple terms. Especially this book called the Book of Esther. You read the book of Esther, and most of the characters, they are hard to hold up and say, this character is awesome, because most of them are tinted gray. I listened to sermons this week on the book of Esther, and I, I was surprised how many sermons I heard try to take individuals and say, this is the hero of the story. And I'm like, but that guy is a bad dude. He's not a good guy. You're trying to make him this moral um, example for us to follow, but this person is morally gray. Esther is a story with ambiguous people in a man-made disaster on the edge of great destruction. As we go through the book, you will see the complexity of this book. We're going to be in Esther chapter 4, because Esther chapter 4 is the heart of the whole matter. The book of Esther, give you some um, context. Israel has fallen. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned that city to the ground. And God's people were taken into exile. Babylon used the Jews as slaves. Well, Babylon was powerful for a few generations, then Babylon fell to the might of the nation called Persia, the Medo-Persians. If you read Esther, chapter 1, verse 1, tells you how powerful the king of Persia was, how many other countries he ruled over. The Jews had to watch as their old masters were killed and new masters came. The rules changed. I once worked for a pizza place under a regime, and under our regime, uh, my boss was not a great cook. Our breadsticks were like always hard and gross. Our food was not very fresh. We just made a very kind of mediocre product. And one day... I'm doing dishes because I was a dish dog, for a professional dishwasher for a lot of years, which is why I can't do dishes in our house, because my process is so long and drawn out, my wife hates it. She said, just stay away from the dishes. I'm like, my way gets them the cleanest. Um, 
But uh, I was doing jiu-jitsu one day, and this guy comes in. Uh, big old Greek dude with a leather jacket. Looked like a, I thought he was a talent. He looked very mafioso. And him and his brother and his dad come in. They walk around the place. And I'm like, who are these people? And they bought our pizza place. They bought all those carryout. And so I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm a dish dog. I'm a nobody. But I'm watching my place of business go from one owner to another. And all the rules changed. All like how we made food changed. How we made breadsticks changed. How I did dishes, he gave me new rules. Now, thankfully, the new owner made better food, and our restaurant became awesome. Yeah. Um, but the Jews are there, and Persia takes over. That's where we, we, we are. We're in Persia. In exile, this is where the story takes place. 4 verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. So we meet the guy Mordecai. We're going to learn more about it in a little bit. Mordecai is an old Jewish man, like really old. And he is mourning. In the Jewish world, when you mourned, it was a very dramatic thing. You would literally wear like your mourning clothes. Not like AM clothes. M-O-U-R-N. Mourning. And, you know, in America, we have mourning clothes. What are mourning clothes in America? Black. black, right? You wear black clothing, a black dress or a black suit. In this day and age, you would wear essentially a potato sack. No joke. Uh, really rough to show how I'm dressed is how I feel. I feel rough. I feel ragged. I feel awful. So I dress awful to show how, hard, like, how much my heart is in turmoil. So this guy Mordecai, for some reason he's mourning. We'll find out why. Verse 2, he went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate, clothed in sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Whatever's happening here is not just Mordecai's sadness. Apparently, Jews across the empire have heard of the king's decision, and there's many Jews all over the place wearing sackcloth. There are people all over the empire who are out in the street openly crying. Something bad is happening. There's a, 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 there's a national moment of sadness. Now, when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. So we've met old Mordecai. Let's meet Esther. Who is Esther? The book's named after her. Esther's a young Jewish girl. And apparently, she's very beautiful. She's so beautiful, in fact, um, when the king of Persia decides his wife has displeased him, he does this national beauty contest, if you will, to find a new bride. When you're the king, you do what you want. And they bring all these women from across the land to his palace. And for one year, all these women go through crazy beauty treatments. 
You read the book, like, 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 like there's oils on their skin, their hair, like they're all like beautified, eat certain food, because they're presentable for the king. And they all, after a year of being beautified, are brought to the king. Now Esther is very beautiful, and she's very wise. You read the book, you see she learns to navigate this hostile world she's a part of. And her wisdom and her beauty give her great favor. Now, she hides the fact that she's a Jew. She just keeps, mums the word, no harm, no foul, I ain't saying nothing to nobody about where I really come from. And because they're off in the same part of the world, they have the same skin color, same hair color, it's easy kind of to hide your origin. Well, Esther pleases the king, and he makes this Jewish young girl his new queen. She's the queen, and her uncle Mordecai, because Esther, she's wise, she's beautiful, she's also an orphan. And she's raised by her, her great uncle, this old man Mordecai. And she hears her great uncle is out weeping. And any adopted daughter would feel like, why is my adopted father, why is he mourning the street, what's happening? So she does the following. She sends garments to clothe Mordecai, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept him. A free one for you. A lot of us, when we see someone who's sad, our first instinct is to tell them to stop being sad, isn't it? It's going to be okay. Stop crying. It's Stop crying. It's going to be all right. We want to stop the negative emotion as soon as possible, which is not always the greatest move. As someone, as I grew up, I grew up hearing from all the time as a kid, never let them see you bleed. I've told my kids the same thing. At school, if you get, if you get made fun of, you get, made, you get feelings hurt, you get punched in the eye, wait to get home to cry, but don't cry for those brutal kids because they will make you pay for it. I try to teach my kids to be strong in the world, but I also try to tell them you can be soft at home. You're allowed to come home and cry because I, we have to get better at learning how to mourn. Trying to always cover up sadness is not a healthy way to deal with sadness, is it? you got to let the tears flow sometimes. That's the healthy response. She's like, Mordecai, here's some sense close to him. Stop mourning. Here's some good clothes. Cut it out, and he will not accept it. Then Esther called for Hathic, Haddock, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to, Mal- Mal- to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Mordecai, why are you so sad? Says one of her servants to him. Find out what's going on. Haddock went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther. So why is Mordecai so sad? Now we meet Haman, the bad guy of the story. So Mordecai and Haman have a disagreement between them. They have a fight. 
It's a personal matter. And in the personal matter, Mordecai, the godly Jewish uncle, is not clean. I want you to say that up front. Mordecai, I don't want to speak too strongly. He's such a proud man. He refuses to bow his head when Haman walks in the palace. It's not a religious thing. It's a tough man thing. You understand? I ain't calling you sir. Punk. Like, he doesn't like this guy, so he refuses to show respect to the guy. When I was in college, I had this go-to move to show disrespect to authority. A very dramatic person. Um, my first come to college, I had someone called an RA, and he was in charge of the floor. He was our, like, floor father in a sense. I loved my first year RA. He was a good man. I respected him. I gave him my respect and obedience. When he left, I'm like, I loved him. I'll never love again. That's what was my attitude. So a new RA comes, and I intentionally, for the next two years, no lie, I called him the wrong name every time I addressed him. Intentionally, I just messed up his name. And he'd correct me every time. I just did it to show him, I, don't, I have no regard for you. Your name's not worth remembering. Just so you know that in my mind, I will not remember your name. Dude, I was a jerk for a long time. Um, but Haman is like I was. When, when the stinking, when this guy comes in, Haman's, or Mordecai's like, I ain't bowing my head to you. I don't like you. And Haman, also a proud man, is like, I'm important. I'm a somebody. You will respect me. And even Mordecai's friends come and say, why don't you just bow the head? He goes, I ain't listening to you. He just will not listen to anybody. So Haman's like, I'm, I hate this guy so much. Haman, is, his, his pride is so wounded. He's like, I'm going to make this guy pay and all his people. Finds out he's a Jewish person. He's like, you want to mess with me? I'm burning you down and everybody you love. Haman is being high up in the Persian court, and Persia rules hundreds of peoples. The Jews are just one little group in Persia. He's like, he goes to the king one day, and Haman goes, great king Ahasuerus, whatever his name is, it's really hard in Hebrew. He goes, king, all the peoples you rule should love you the most, shouldn't they? And the king in the story is a fool. He's a drunken idiot of a man. And he's like, everyone should love me. That's how he is. And, we're, and, and Haman's like, you know what? There's a group of people in this land who don't love you the most. What? We should kill them all. Whoa, whoa, that's crazy. He's like, tell you what, king. If you kill all these people who don't love you anyway, I'll make a sizable donation to the kingdom. I'll give all this money to your treasury and we'll kill all these bad people in our borders. He's like, sounds great. And he signs the order. You read the whole, you the whole story, he's so drunk, he forgets he signed it. The king is a fool of a man. Well, Haman has revenge. Sets a day, a month out, saying, on this day we're having a big party, it's kill Jew day. And on this day we're killing all the Jews in the land. Sends that letter all over to all the leaders of all the areas. And Mordecai's a copy of this. And Mordecai is mourning because him and everyone he loves are all going to die. 
That's why he's wearing sackcloth. That's why all the Jews in the kingdom are crying, because they're all going to die. And is, is Haman a bad guy? Yes, he is. Is Mordecai clean? No, he's not. Not a fairy tale. Real people. Everyone's kind of stupid in a little bit of a way. So Mordecai sends this letter to Esther saying, Esther, this is what's happening to us. We're all going to die. And the first thing I want to say to us, we learn from this book of Esther, is this. God's people, God's people experience injustice. The people of God experience injustice. The Jews are God's chosen people. And even though God loves them, sometimes people decide to burn them down. It happens in the Bible, and it's happened in history, hasn't it? We all know this. Me and Angie were talking the other day, driving. I think yesterday we were driving around talking. And I'm like, babe, how many Jews died in the Holocaust? Was it like 200,000? Six weeks ago, so next, it was like 6 million. 6 million! Because the Germans blamed the Jews for their hardships and just decided we're going to wipe these people out. You know what's crazy? In America today, anti-Semitism is on the rise. In the last month, we've had three scandals, right? Kanye, Kyrie, Chappelle, all kind of flirting with that, making fun of the Jews thing. Not only are God's people, the Jews often targeted. Listen, if you love Jesus, there's a lot of preachers who say to people, if you come to Jesus, he will put a hedge of protection around you and you'll be safe from harm. And people think to themselves, like, man, that's a good deal. If I come to Jesus, maybe I'll dodge the bullets. If I heard a sermon, when I was a little kid, I went to a church, a little Baptist church in the UP, and this preacher, this, this, this Sunday school teacher said to me, hell is fire and you burn forever. I was like, holy cow. I'm like a seven-year-old kid. He's like, who wants to go to hell? I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. Who doesn't want to go to hell? But ow! I was like, I don't want to burn forever. They're like, well, if you don't want to burn forever, come to the back room. And I just went to the back room. I didn't know what was happening. It's like, well, go ahead and say these words after me. Say, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I love Jesus. Amen. I said, I said the word. I don't know what they meant. I'm just like, I don't want to go to hell. Like that. If you tell me I can dodge the bullets, I'll say, sounds great. Promising people freedom from pain sells well. But nowhere in the teaching of Jesus, nowhere in the teaching of Jesus does he promise his followers that they'll be free from suffering and injustice. Nowhere. His original 12 followers. We're doing a study in the church right now in our midweek stuff. We're studying the apostles. Every apostle we've studied so far dies a horrific death. Peter. crucified upside down. Andrew, James' head cut off. Thomas, speared. Like, these guys die horrific deaths, and they love Christ. God's people, the people of God, experience injustice. Don't think that if you go to church, God's going to be like, oh, man, my boy, 
my girl so-and-so, she comes every week, I'm going to make sure no bad things happen to her or her family. That's not how it works. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. God-fearing good people get COVID, and so do wicked sinners. The people of God experience injustice. If you are alive, people will hate you for no reason. I don't know why. That happens even to the people of God. And in this book, we see it happen to the Jews. So what does Mordecai want to do? Mordecai sends the decree to Esther. And he says, he explains it to her. And he commands her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. He said, Queen Esther, you're the queen. Go to the king and fight for us. Go to the king and say, don't kill my kinsmen. Then Esther spoke to Haddock and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king's, to come in to see the king for these 30 days. Here's the reality. Mordecai says, Esther, you got to go and fight for us because here's the fact of the matter. God's people do experience injustice. Esther in this moment is asked to be a part of God's redeeming work, to stand in the way to see this injustice undone. You may be called. You may be called to be a part of God's redeeming work. You may be called to be part of God's redeeming work. Mordecai says, Esther, you are the queen. You got to go. But she goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a rule here in Persia. And the rule is simple. <laughs> Remember when we were kids? What do what, what mean adults say to us when we were kids? Don't speak unless spoken to. Unless I talk to you, you keep your mouth shut. That's how we talk. I don't know why we say it. Where did that law come from? But in Persia, that was actually a law. You don't come to the king unless he calls you. If you come to the king uninvited, that's your head. You're dead. The king is so high and exalted, he calls for you or you stay away. Even his own wife can't just come and be with him. He has to summon her. She goes, Mordecai, you want me to help you want me to stand up for the people? If I go to the king for our people, I'm a dead woman. If I walk in there and he does not raise his scepter and point it at me as an acceptance of my, my intrusion, I'm dead. Listen, you, Esther's like, this might cost my very life. And here's the reality. God may call you to be part of his redeeming work. But you got to know something. If you're going to be part of what God's doing in the world, it might cost you something. If one of your friends is bragging about their great sin, I'm going on a, I'm going on a business trip, I'm going to commit adultery, it's going to be hilarious. 
and you say to that friend, listen, you're doing wrong, brother. That friend may cut you out of their life. Let's make it a little less crazy. Maybe one of your friends starts dating someone whom you see, man, this person is not someone God would desire to be with. You are dating, you are dating a pagan, someone who hates the things of God. This person is going to pull your heart away. You are being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. If you tell this friend that, are they going to receive this news lightly? They may say, some friend you are. I always see these Facebook posts all the time. A true friend always has your back. No, a true friend will love you enough to stand against you when you're in danger. Straight up. You may be called by God. He part of redeeming work. Listen to what Mordecai says, though. She goes, listen, I might die. And they told Mordecai what Esther said, and Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the Jews. They're going to kill us, and they're probably going to kill you and find out who you are. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise up from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai's like, Esther, all the things God gave you, your beauty, your wisdom, winning the beauty pageant, becoming the queen of Persia, all these circumstances and natural giftings have led to this intersection of reality and maybe God orchestrated all these events for this moment in history, for this moment in time. Listen, God made every one of you. He gave you unique circumstances, life experiences, and God, there are things, there are people you can reach that I can't reach or your neighbors can't reach. You are uniquely gifted and called to influence certain lives. I knew this man. He was a janitor. Janitor. He pushed a mop. And one year we had a kids, a youth camp, teenagers. And the church camp had two types of kids. There were the church kids raising the church, and there were the outreach kids. They all came from like trailer parks in the area. And most of the speakers that week were churchy speakers. And a lot of the kids who were the, the, uh, that came from the hard backgrounds, they didn't know the words, they didn't know the lingo, they felt on the outside of this experience. Well, randomly, well, no, God led the leader of the camp to ask the janitor to give his testimony. I've never heard the guy speak. I'm like, what do you think asking the janitor to speak? Like, he's not a preacher. He's not, tra- he's not trained to read the Bible. And this, this unassuming, shy man gets up there in front of all 120 high schoolers. Ooh. Judgmental, judgmental little those kids, those animals are. High schoolers. Ooh, okay, so he gets up in front of all those high schoolers and he tells his story. How 
he was born to a young mother and was put into adoption. And I went to foster home, to foster home for years. Now, one day, someone finally adopted him when he was younger. And he thought, I found my forever home. And they were there for like two years, and he was beginning to finally feel like, I belong, um, I have a home, I'm safe. And one day, the adopted, the adoptive mom and dad come to him and say, this is too hard, we got to give you back to the state. And he's sharing this testimony, he said, they didn't want me, they didn't love me, they, they just threw us away. And he, he, this, this, this quiet man was breaking down, and there was, these, there was kids in the room who know the story, who feel like they're unloved, they're unwanted, and that testimony, that, that story, it, it, it cut through all of their anger and hard-heartedness, and just the Lord grabbed them by the heart. And that hurt, quiet, meek janitor shared how the, as, a, as a grown man with all that pain and all that rejection had finally found a home in Jesus. And I watched God use that man, his hardship, his pain, his wounds to minister to a room full of broken youth. Listen, God can redeem the things. You have been uniquely called by God to do things that no one else can do. Many of us think that going to church is a show. I'll come, you feed me, you better entertain me, and if you don't entertain me, I'm going somewhere else. I hear all the time people say, I'm just, I'm just not getting fed. Feed yourself. It's not the pastor's job to tickle your ears. There was a time years ago when my voice blew up. I was whispering from the pulpit. I had no strength left. Some of you weren't here for that when COVID robbed me of my voice. And I'd be preaching with a whisper. I couldn't go up and down. Sermons were much less entertaining for a season. They were just like, everybody turn your Bible. Being a Christian does not mean I come, I get entertained, I go home. Listen, Flint City Church, we serve Flint together. To, listen, Thanksgiving, I can't do that alone. Saturday food pantry, if it's just me, ain't nothing getting done here. Every single Sunday, there are people in the nurseries, people in the parking lots, people holding doors, faithfully sacrificing time and energy on a Sunday morning just wanting to see their lives make a difference to somebody else. We have Bible studies all through the week. We have youth group here on Wednesdays, and they burn this building down, and it's great. Great. But people think to themselves, well, I'll just come, and I'll attend, throw a few bucks in the, bucks in the bucket, and that's all i got to do. Listen, if you're in Christ, God has called you to do something. Merkai tells Esther, Esther, who knows? Your whole life may have led to such a time as this. The world needs what you have to give. If you're in Christ, you've been gifted and called. Stop sitting on the sidelines. 
Get involved. He's not here so I can embarrass him. There's, there's a young kid in our church. And he came to me uh, last Sunday and he's like, Pastor, can I help out on Thursday? I'm like, sure. And he was out there with us on Thanksgiving Day. And that kid, he was on my right hand the whole day. And he'd always say to every car that left, God bless you, have a great Thanksgiving Day. He just, he didn't, he didn't have much to give, but the little he had, he had some muscle, he had a voice, so he was there desiring to be used by God to bless somebody else. It was awesome to watch. Young kid, his mom had to drive him here and everything. I'm not saying you got to do what he did, but you got to do something. Whether it's at home, at your workplace, in your family, who are you influencing for Jesus? Who are you sacrificially loving for your king? Now, here's the rub, though. You can have a part in God's redeeming work. Mordecai says, Esther, you got, you're the queen, you can help us. But then he says this, and this is, this is the point of the whole book right here. He says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Here's the crazy thing about what God's doing. God is going to deliver his people with or without you. With or without you, God is going to deliver his people. Jesus said, if you won't praise the Lord, the rocks will cry out in praise. We can give away our awesome opportunity and God can give it to somebody else. God's going to deliver his people, but we get a chance to be a part of it. I can choose to ride the bench. I can choose that other people bleed and serve and give and experience the joy that comes from loving others. And there is joy in loving others. So much joy. In America, we're such a selfish society. We focus on our own needs so much. It's like a black hole we keep falling into. When I love others, I take my eyes off of my own self for a second. I see what God's doing in the whole world, and it's like it opens my mind to greater horizons. God, listen, Mordecai is not the hero of the story. Esther is not the hero of the story. God is the hero of this story. God is going to deliver his people with or without us. With or without Flint City Church, God is going to move in our city. Now, personally, I would love to be part of what God's doing. I would love to get off the bench and be on the field engaging others for the sake of Jesus Christ. I'd love it. And we're trying to do it. This, this thing we say, serve Flint, this is not just a cool banner on our church wall. We are at, listen, we do a lot of things that face outward. When we give food away, listen, we don't make any money from doing that. 
We're only giving resources away. But we believe it's worth the sacrifice to engage our city on that front line. I want to read Ephesians, uh, first out of Ephesians 1 real quick as we kind of land this plane. What is God doing in the world? It says this, verse 7, Ephesians 1, verse 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. He's told us his will. What is God's will for the world? I would love to know. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So great, God has revealed to us his will. So what is his will in the world? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So God's great plan is to take all of reality and bring it to the feet of Jesus. That's God's plan. To give the whole world as a gift to his son, Jesus Christ. And we go to invite people to be saved. You're right. To, get, to become part, to join the family of Christ, to be in Jesus, and to come underneath his great authority and love. We get to invite people to be part of that story. That's his will. If we don't do it, it will still be accomplished. But man, what joy comes from being part of the story. Jesus says earlier in the Jesus says in one of his teachings, he says, No one lights a light and puts it under a basket. Instead, you light the candle, you put it on a stand, give light to all in the house. Now, um, yesterday. My wife and my, my family and I, we decorated the Christmas tree. We even, my daughter is so smart with technology, she made a stop motion video of it. She put a camera up and it filmed us putting the lights up and it's like 20 seconds long. I'll put it up on Facebook later, maybe. It just shows it's just so people running like and the, the trees the tree. But we put the tree up, got the boxes out from the basement of Christmas stuff, and put some candles out and let the candles, and you put the, when you put the lights down real low, those candles flicker, and it just creates an ambiance, a mood. You ever, feel, you ever do that? It all feels all cool. It's like Christmas time, you know? Jesus goes, you don't light a candle and hide the light. Now, can you do that? Sure you can. It's dangerous. The bathroom might catch on fire. Your, high, your room will be dark instead of beautifully glowy. You can't. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You can hide that light. You can. Or you can let it shine. The question I have for you is very simple. The Bible calls us co-laborers with Christ. What are you and God working on? Who are you praying for? Who are you engaging for the Lord? Who has God put on your heart where, man, I need to be in prayer for this person? I need to make myself available for this person. I need to call this person, befriend this neighbor. Because I have the light 
And I want them to be near it. Now Esther chose. She knew it might cost her life, but Esther chose to go to the king. She walks into the king's presence. And there's been like VeggieTale cartoons about Esther. Weirdly, I shouldn't say this out loud. Um, she was a beautiful vegetable, even in Esther. But anyways, um, <laughs> it, it was, I was like, they made a celery attractive. That's crazy. So um, they made a VeggieTales cartoon of Esther. There's been a movie made about Esther. And the scene where she goes with the king is always dramatized. But she goes into the king's presence when she might die. She's like, I'm going to go to the king to stand for my people. And God does use her. And the Jews are saved. Listen. You, you can be a part of God's redeeming work. I hope and I pray that if this day God brings someone to your mind, you will not ignore the Spirit's prompting. Instead, you will pray for whoever God brings to your mind. You will call. You will befriend. You will make time for so that God may use the light you have to possibly illuminate someone else's destiny. With that said, let us pray together. Father, heaven, thank you so much for this morning, for your word that is true. You called your servant Esther, and she was afraid, but she walked forth. Lord, give us the courage to speak your name, to not hide who we are in you. We are Christ's followers. Let's not be ashamed of that fact. Let's instead bring the hope of your Son to our homes, our families, our workplaces, our friendships. Let our light shine that people may see our good works and glorify you, our Father who is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for the day. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.